at the end of my shift, you have patient hold your hands and tell you thank you for everything you have done. My name is Romel Tater. I work at Left Span at the Marriott Hospital. I've been here 20 plus years. Well, we have increased patient load, we have nursing shortage, so it's been tough. And we just want nurses out there to know it's a nice place to work. We have a lot of support. So if they want to join in, we are here to help them navigate that. Tonight on Rhode Island PBS Weekly. He loaded up the needle for me and injected me. And within, within seconds, I had completely blacked out. The opioid crisis is the worst it's ever been in Rhode Island. Public health experts say supervised drug injection sites can save lives, but critics argue it will enable drug users. The worst thing that we could do, in my opinion, for these addicts, which is find, give them a warm, safe place to, to shoot up. Tell me your first thoughts on hearing the term woosocks. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> They've always been the paw socks my whole life, so they always will be. Good evening. Welcome to Rhode Island PBS Weekly. I'm Pamela Watts. I'm Michelle San Miguel. We begin tonight with an epidemic that is surging throughout the United States, fatal drug overdoses. It's claiming more lives than ever before. Unfortunately, in Rhode Island, we are keeping pace with the deadly statistic. In the last two years, more than 800 people have died here of overdoses. Fueling the spike is a fatal combination of COVID and fentanyl, a synthetic opioid used to treat patients with severe pain. It's about 100 times stronger than morphine. Rhode Island is the first state in the country to legalize a program aimed at preventing overdose deaths. Proponents say it saves lives. Critics claim it will make an already big problem worse. What did you do? Did you, How old are you? Did you do some fentanyl today? All right, what did you do then? Just tell us what you do. We need to know how to help you. It's a scene that has become increasingly common in Providence and around Rhode Island. It's a confirmed overdose. Uh, he's gotten six milligrams of Narcan, but he still goes in and out of consciousness. A person overdosing on fentanyl. We've reduced opioid prescriptions dramatically in the state. We've expanded access to recovery programs and it's still not enough. Brandon Marshall says Rhode Island needs to do more to tackle the state's growing opioid crisis. He's an associate professor in epidemiology at Brown University. Marshall says the pandemic contributed to a spike in overdoses. People with mental health conditions who are experiencing anxiety, depression, for example, have very, very high rates of overdose. And of course, people with economic instability, people who are experiencing homelessness or job loss during the pandemic, were at very high risk for returning to substance use or you know, increasing overdose risk. Marshall believes supervised drug injection sites, also known as harm reduction centers, can help curb overdoses. A Rhode Island law that took effect in March allows those facilities to operate in the state during a two-year pilot program. Typically, these centers, at least in the United States, would be funded privately, so by donations or from other sources. 
As far as I'm aware, there are no plans to provide state or local dollars to operate these facilities. When first someone enters, they're going to come up to this registration desk. Just no like sites have opened in Rhode Island yet. Celine Means, an advocacy coordinator at Rhode Island Communities for Addiction Recovery Efforts, gave us a tour of a mock harm reduction center at the organization's downtown Providence office. They um, will write in their initials or a client ID and what substance and method they will be using. It's all anonymous. People will bring their own drugs to the clinic and use them under the supervision of trained staff. Employees and volunteers will be able to administer naloxone to reverse overdoses and can provide drug users with resources for getting clean. These are all Rhode Island-based um, resources around recovery, treatment, safe streets, housing, um, food, shelter. There are more than 120 harm reduction centers around the world. Professor Marshall has spent nearly two decades studying their impact. There has actually never been an overdose death at any harm reduction center anywhere in the world because overdoses can be effectively managed on site. No, we got it, we got it. Just let it hit the ground. All right, throw it on. Yeah. All right, that's it. You got it. Many overdoses are being treated at hospitals. Patients who experience an opioid overdose account for $1.9 billion in annual hospital costs nationwide, according to the Pew Charitable Trust. Not only would harm reduction centers reduce those health care costs, but Marshall says they would also help get users into treatment. He points to the first supervised drug injection site to open in Canada back in 2003. After about two years of operation, more than 40% of people using the site had entered into some form of treatment. And that's because of those referrals, and those pathways that are being provided by connecting people to treatment and recovery in the site itself. So once um, a person's turn has been called, they come over here to a table to grab their supplies. We give out these supplies such as clean cookers, clean needles, clean water, and fentanyl test strips all so that you can make sure that your use is safe and clean. Rich Holcomb knows firsthand what it's like to be in the throes of addiction. He's overdosed more than a dozen times. He, he loaded up the needle for me and injected me, and within, within seconds I had completely blacked out. Holcomb has walked the road from overdose to recovery. As the program manager for Project Weber in Providence, he helps men who've engaged in sex work, oftentimes to pay for drugs. It's a life that he once lived. Holcomb says the last time he used drugs several years ago, he overdosed. I was getting high um, with a friend of mine. Um, we were in his apartment, um, you know, after, after several years clean and uh, directing the Project Weber program, I relapsed. I woke up to paramedics around me um, and uh, didn't know what had, had just happened. And they just said, you just overdosed. In 2020, three in four fatal overdoses in Rhode Island involved fentanyl. Proponents of injection sites say users would be able to test their substances for fentanyl at those facilities. If harm reduction centers existed when you were using, would you have gone to one? Um, that's an interesting question, and I want to give an honest answer. Um, I, I genuinely don't know. 
if it was a facility that was run by peers and I trusted those peers, then I think that the chances of me going in um, a facility like that would be pretty high. But not everyone is embracing the concept of regulated injection sites. State Representative David Place is among the lawmakers who voted against them. The worst thing that we could do, in my opinion, for these addicts, which is find, give them a warm, safe place to, to shoot up. Place represents parts of Gloucester and Burrowville. He knows of people in his community who've died of drug overdose. But he doesn't think harm reduction centers are the answer to the opioid crisis. It's not me saying I don't care about addicts. It's not me saying I don't want addicts to survive. It's me saying we're, doing, we're going about it the wrong way. Instead, he says, the conversation should focus on decriminalizing drugs and destigmatizing addiction, along with reaching out to people who are using drugs. Everything that I've seen about treating someone with addiction, the only way you get them is when they're at rock bottom. And a lot of those times, unfortunately, unfortunately comes when they've experienced overdose, whether themselves personally or their friends. But that rock bottom could be death for some people. Yes, it could be. While federal law makes it illegal to open a place for the purpose of using a controlled substance, Professor Marshall says he's not worried about the federal government closing future facilities in Rhode Island. He notes that the first two authorized drug injection sites in the country opened last November in New York City. Honestly, we've seen a pretty sudden and dramatic shift in the federal response under the Biden administration. They've been actively supporting harm reduction generally, including syringe service programs and Narcan distribution. They haven't made a formal stance on harm reduction centers yet, but I haven't seen any, any, any indication that they would try to interfere with facilities that will be legal here in Rhode Island under our state law. But under federal law would still be illegal. That's right. That's right. But we have other examples where state and federal laws conflict. A classic example would be cannabis, right, which is legal in many states, but which remains illegal federally. They find bodies in the alley. They find bodies in the abandoned houses and people don't lose no sleep. Kevin Montero is a peer recovery specialist. He works with people who've battled addiction. He believes injection sites will reduce the number of people who use drugs alone. What's wrong with our society? We accepted the fact that people are gonna die. We accepted the fact they might die in Kennedy Plaza or they might die behind a store. Montero spent 30 years in a Colorado prison for second degree murder that he says centered around drugs. The reason why I'm sitting here today is because I actually was guilty of the crime. And once I accepted that, and I accepted the fact that I was guilty, I accepted the fact my behavior while I was in solitary confinement, regardless of the time period I was in there, I took responsibility. And once I took responsibility, my life changed. He believes safe injection sites will be a lifeline for those suffering from addiction. Most people that have, and I'm speaking for myself now, that have substance use disorder, the primary cause was a broken heart, broken family, 
just everything in your life. When you don't have the tools to do what you need and to make decisions, man, you always, most of the time, you're going to fall off. Professor Marshall says studies show that crime does not increase in neighborhoods surrounding harm reduction centers. Before a facility can open in a community, the city or town council needs to approve it. So far, no harm reduction center applications have been submitted. Up next, if there is one thing Southern New Englanders can agree on, it's that the region's weather can fluctuate between idyllic conditions and extreme storms on a moment's notice. For one 16-year-old North Kingstown student, predicting regional weather has long been a source of interest. In recent years, he has developed a legion of followers by forecasting on social media. But as contributing reporter Bill Bartholomew first showed us last September, the amateur weatherman's fans may not fully understand the challenges he overcomes to share what is behind the weather. So several years ago in fourth grade, um, when my parents would have the news on at night, and I always enjoyed the newscast as a whole, hearing about the breaking stories and uh, learning what the different reporters were covering on a day-to-day -day basis, but I particularly enjoyed that three or four minutes each half hour where um, the meteorologist came on and provided the weather forecast. And I feel like it's a great mix of, of course, math and sciences, which are really the fundamentals of meteorology, but also the broadcasting um, and the sort of the performance aspect of it. For Ryan Lukowitz, weather has long been a source of fascination. So much so that the 15-year-old North Kingstown High School student has built his own platform forecasting Southern New England weather on Facebook. The next generation is definitely uh, very social media oriented, and I think I've uh, filled a void, and I think I can sort of transfer that into more traditional styles, or even perhaps untraditional, you know, by being a, a broadcast meteorologist on TV, maybe at some point. Thanks so much for checking out this video. I'm Ryan Lukowicz. In the meantime, Lukowicz has assembled a dedicated and growing audience with his podcast, Facebook weather page, weather something he says comes from formulating his forecasts by analyzing weather information not only in southern New England, but also in other neighboring markets. I use a lot of different sources, and um, you know, the, I am more focused on the end product and really bringing the information to more people and communicating it. That passion for bringing information to people is especially compelling because this 15-year-old budding meteorologist was born legally blind. You know, I've had supports in place through uh, all of my school years, and those, of course, can change and vary based on uh, how I'm doing and, and how my vision changes, um, which, of course, it's decreased, which is, you know, the way it is. Lukowitz credits North Kingstown with creating an environment in which he can explore his passion for weather and broadcasting, regardless of his disability. He says he is grateful for his family's support, as well as North Kingstown Superintendent, Dr. Philip Auger. He's so focused on the arts and um, just anybody's interests he will embrace. And it doesn't have to be athletics or um, you know, drama, or it can be really anything across the spectrum. And I think that's why uh, North Kingstown leads the state in our schools in general. And Lukowitz says he recognizes he is different from his classmates 
and he welcomes their curiosity. You know, I'm very open about if you have any, you know, stupid question. Um, I've gotten um, some very interesting ones, but I will answer any of them. I embrace it. I think it's, it's awesome that kids are curious and they want to learn and they want to know um, more about blindness and uh, sort of what comes with it. So, um, and I've, I've grown, of course, in, you know, such, in many areas such as, you know, self-advocacy and being an independent traveler, doing more in the community. So um, it's a process, of course, but um, so far so good. In 2020, Lukowitz launched a podcast series called Behind the Weather Forecast. I'm your host, Ryan Lukowitz, and today we have a lot to talk about here. Which centers on interviewing southern New England meteorologists and news personalities. I really was listening to other people's podcasts and just wanted a new way to reach my audience that wasn't just writing on a post or whatever, which is great and it's a, it's a good way to convey information, but I think I wanted something more and I wanted sort of an extension to the Facebook page and something that was more than just a day-to-day forecast. I wanted to learn more about different people and take a deep dive into their stories. And a lot of people may watch people like Michelle Muscatello or Mark Searles do the, you know, forecast every night for a few minutes, but, you know, you don't know where they came from, what college they went to, how they got into uh, the weather world, if you will. Good morning. Earlier this year, the Rhode Island Department of Education was proposing a change in the way that blind students would be educated, seeking to privatize the special education programs that students like Ryan Lukowitz had been engaged in and replacing it with a program from the Massachusetts-based Perkins School for the Blind. It was just the fear of losing the professionals that I had worked with for years and I've known since uh, elementary school um, just to have this um, you know Perkins School for the Blind in Massachusetts come in and just uh, completely change everything um, was just something I couldn't imagine. Determined to stop the change he began leading rallies outside of the Rhode Island State House and organizing online. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of meetings. It was a lot of discussions. It was um, a lot of, uh, you know, testifying, or not testifying, but making public comment at, you know, the ride board meetings. Several blind and visually impaired students won't be losing their teachers after all. And all the work paid off as the Rhode Island General Assembly ultimately decided not to privatize education for blind students. I'm so excited that it's going to continue uh, for at least the next two years. For Lukowitz, the next steps in his journey are deciding where he wants to take his passion and skill in the professional world. I think broadcast meteorology is definitely a good possibility. However, I'm keeping it open to all areas of weather, journalism, can't necessarily rule out politics, but there's a way to sort of combine them all, you know, of course, climate change overlaps, the broadcasting, meteorology, of course, covers journalism and weather. So, um, yeah, I think broadcast meteorology at this point is likely, but I'm, I'm keeping it open-ended um, just because I have many other passions. Our thanks to Bill Bartholomew. Ryan Lukowitz made history in February when he became the first blind page to work in the Rhode Island State House. Next, it came a little late this year, but baseball is now back. 
Major league and minor league teams throughout the country are opening their ballparks for regular season play. For many here in Rhode Island, this brings up bad blood as one of our beloved parks remains shuttered. As contributing reporter David Wright first reported last May, many are still reeling from the state's bitter loss. Opening day 2021. That's James Taylor and his son doing the honors. This may be triple-A ball, but it's a major league moment. America's pastime survived the pandemic. The boys of summer are finally back. But alas, not in Pawtucket. The Paw Sox are gone for good. McCoy Stadium, where the Paw Sox played for half a century, all but abandoned. An apocalyptic scene brightened only by memorabilia and memories. McCoy was the birthplace of legends. Wade Boggs played here. So did Oil Can Boyd, Dennis Eckersley, Mo Vaughn, and Rocket Roger Clements, to name a few. More recently, there's been Manny Ramirez, Kurt Schilling, Kevin Euclid. McCoy was the scene of baseball's longest game. 40 years ago, the Paw Sox finally clinched it in the bottom of the 33rd inning. All that history, and now, all those empty seats. It's little quirks, and it wasn't perfect, but it was, it was a perfect little family park, and it's hard. I mean, 50 years is a long time. That's, a, that's generations of people in a small state like this to then just kind of pack up and go. It really feels empty. But up in Worcester, Mass, hence the Woo Sox, it's a whole different story. Here, there's a brand new ballpark full of newly minted fans. First time wearing this? Yes, yes, you bet. Just bought it here in the park. Many of them proudly flying the flag of their new team. Rhode Islanders are a little miffed. To, to lose this team. Understandable, understandable. You know, I've been to the Paw Sox games as well, and there's the same kind of hometown feeling. Um, you got your kids running around, enjoying the park, and hopefully that'll be duplicated here. So, sorry. <laughs> duplicated here, but no longer there. Sorry, Rhode Island. <laughs> you know, for a lot of Rhode Islanders, especially longtime fans of the Paw Sox, the idea of the Woo Sox is a joke, a betrayal. But if you think about it, this is also a classic baseball story. If you build it, they will come. For Worcester fans, it is a dream come true. Did you ever think that this day would come? No, no. I, it was, if you saw what was here before and what's here now, it doesn't seem like it's in Worcester. It's almost better than Fenway Park, and I love Fenway Park. It's going to bring some good, you know, some good money into the city and stuff like that. I don't know why they ever left Pawtucket, but, I mean, probably, like you said, the new stadium. Rhode Island's loss, though, is uh, Worcester's gain for sure. Yeah, but, I mean, we're close to Rhode Island, so they can always come and visit us. Not likely, say some in the old neighborhood. Tell me your first thoughts on hearing the term Woosox. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> They've always been the Paw Sox my whole life, so they always will be. 
But the voice of the Sox hopes those hard feelings will soften. Ben DeCastro has been in the booth since 2013. He says he grew up just a mile from McCoy Stadium. Listen, I'm a lifelong Rhode Islander. People who are born in Rhode Island, stay in Rhode Island, they live here till they're 65, then they move to Florida for five years, then they come back home and croak. Okay, that's what they do. And if they've got to drive by five or six Dunkin' Donuts, they're making overnight accommodations. I get that. An hour's drive in which longtime fans can stew about who to blame for Rhode Island losing the team. Well, for Rhode Island, I think it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a loss. Look, keeping the Pawsocks in Rhode Island was one of the easiest slam dunks in the history of sports. Mark Patankin, columnist for the Providence Journal, blames political malpractice at the State House. While Worcester wooed this new developer, Providence basically treated um, the, the team owners like garbage. And it's a lesson for our politicians to have to work together and make sure that a deal is going to go through. Rhode Island did propose its own field of dreams. For years, the project ran the gauntlet of hearings at the state capitol. You know, McCoy itself has lasted 75 years. An on-again, off-again effort to fashion a deal. State taxpayers were only going to pay $23 million of the $84 million cost, which was about the same they just spent on the Little Providence pedestrian bridge. So for $23 million, we could have gotten an $84 million stadium plus some adjoining uh, public development. This would have been the infield in one of the leading plans to build a downtown ballpark here in Providence. And the failure of that proposal pretty much sounded the death knell for nearly 50 years of baseball tradition here in Rhode Island. Now for Paw Sox fans, instead of the thrill of victory, there's only the agony of defeat. It was, a, it was a tragedy to have lost this team. And the reason, if you want to name one reason, it was political cowardice. So what does it mean to have lost the Paw Sox? Well, it's just, they're, they're, you know, the big part of the neighborhood. And, you know, it, it, normally this time of year, there'd be, there'd be a lot of hustle and bustle around. And it's just kind of quiet now, so. It's a bummer. Yeah, it sure is. It's huge. I mean, there's not a whole lot to do in Rhode Island that's, you know, affordable and easy to get into. And it was just, I think we took it for granted. It was always here, and now that it's not, it feels like a big loss. The Woo Sox new logo is a smiley face pin posing in a Ted Williams stance. According to the Smithsonian, the smiley face logo was invented in Worcester back in the 60s. On opening day, an awkward moment. Paws and Sox put a brave face on retirement. They hugged and waved goodbye then they let the new guy take center stage. How do you feel about Worcester stealing Rhode Island's team? Is your conscience clear? My conscience is clear. I think we can both enjoy the Red Sox. They're close, they're local. We would go down to Rhode Island. I hope Rhode Island has come to Worcester. If you want to put a ballpark in a destination city, Worcester would be one of the last places I pick. You know, there's Providence and there's Worcester. Providence is a lovely lovely city and Worcester is kind of a it's just it's, it's not a destination city it's not it's 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 Providence is better than Worcester I don't know why they went there our thanks to David Wright for that report for those of you who are willing to journey to Worcester the Woo Sox five-day opening home series runs Tuesday April 12th through Sunday April 17th and that's our broadcast for this evening I'm Pamela Watts I'm Michelle San Miguel 
We'll be back next week with another edition of Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Until then, you can visit us online to see all of our stories and past episodes at ripbs.org weekly or listen to our podcast available on all your favorite audio streaming platforms. Thank you for joining us. Good night.